Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. I want to start off by sharing with you a story out of John Ortberg's book, The Me I Want to Be. In that book, he talks about a family friend of theirs um, who wanted to change his name legally. Not his first name, not his last name. He wanted to change his middle name. And do you know what he wanted to change his middle name to? Danger. That's what he wanted his middle name to be. See, this was a guy who was a play-it-safe, kind of a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. And he said, you know, it's just time in my life to kind of mix things up, to be a little bold, to stake out a new identity for myself. So he meets with his lawyer, and he fills out all the paperwork to make everything official. And he finally has his day in court before the judge who's going to make everything legal. But before he goes in to see the judge... In the courtroom, there is a court case taking place where the litigants in that case are getting very, very aggressive and disruptive, so much so that they have to be escorted out of the courtroom. Well, now it's this guy's turn to go into the courtroom. The judge looks over everything, asks him a few questions, and signs off and actually changes this guy's middle name to Danger. This guy walks out of the courtroom pretty proud of what's been accomplished that day, and he's getting ready to leave the courthouse when the bailiff says to him, hey, listen, those guys who were in the courtroom before you and who were fighting, he says, they're out in the parking lot right now, and they're still fighting, so it could be a little dangerous out there. Well, this guy realizes he's got a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he says, it's okay. He pulls out his paper and he says, danger is my middle name. (laughs) Don't you love that? And you know, here's what I believe with my heart of hearts. I believe that God has called us to be a dangerous church exhibiting dangerous faith. You say, why do you believe that, Solomon? Here's why. Because Hebrews 11.6 says this, without Faith, it is impossible to please God. I heard a really good definition of faith that I want to share with you today, all right? So if you have your bulletin, I want you to take some notes here because this is a great illustration of what faith is, okay? Here's what it is. Faith is going to the edge of all the knowledge that you have and taking one more step. That's what faith is in a nutshell. All the knowledge I have, going to the very edge of that, and then walking out and taking that step that's beyond the knowledge or the security that I have. And you know what oftentimes keeps us from taking that one step out there? Fear of the unknown. Right? Now, jog your memory with me for a little bit, okay? Because in the Gospels, we see Jesus giving a lot of commands to his disciples. But do you know what command Jesus gave to his followers more than any other command in all the Gospels? You know what it was? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Take heart, right? And we need to hear that. Because it's so easy to be paralyzed with fear in moments of uncertainty and in times of change, right? So as we conclude our series, Dangerous Church, today, here's what I want to do. 
I want to take us to a book of the Bible that is synonymous with courage. It's synonymous with faith. And it's synonymous with some very dangerous things that happen here. And we see that these dangerous things are overcome by an even more dangerous people. So we're going to go to the book of Joshua. So I'd like for you to take your phones, turn them on, get your Bible app open, get your Bibles, turn to the book of Joshua. And let me set the story up a little bit while you're turning to Joshua, okay? As Joshua's getting set up, Moses has been the leader of the Israelites ever since he led them out of slavery in Egypt. And he was leading them ultimately to the promised land. Remember we talked about that last week, that God had a plan. He was going to establish a geographical nation through Abraham. His offspring would populate that nation for the express purpose of bringing about a Savior, a Messiah, who would ultimately bless the entire world, right? So Moses is just living out the plan that God had planned for the nation. He's leading the people out of Egypt to the promised land, but all of a sudden the people get cold feet. They say, no, 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 we can't go there. There's giants there. There's uncertainty. We'd rather go back to Egypt. And so God, what he does is he curses the people for about 40 years and says, because of your lack of faith, because you wouldn't move ahead, because you wouldn't acknowledge that it's me in control of this and not you, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have 40 years of camping. For 40 years, you're going to just wander kind of aimlessly around the wilderness until this generation of unbelievers dies off. And when you're all dead and gone, it's going to be your children and your grandchildren who are going to inherit the promised land, all right? So Moses led them out of Egypt. He's leading them around the wilderness, and there finally comes the day where they're on the precipice of entering into the promised land, just taking a few feet, crossing a river, and they're going to be there. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, the worst possible thing happens. You know what happens? Moses died. Moses, their leader, died. Now, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 34, 8. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. I don't think any of us in here can even begin to relate to the kind of grief that these people felt. This was the man who had emancipated them from a life of slavery and brought about freedom for God's people. This is the man who, when they're pressed up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army behind them, this is the man who led them through those waters in faith to the other side. This is the man who, when they were hungry, he prayed and God brought food. When they were thirsty, he prayed and God brought water. This is the man who climbed up the holy mountain and came down with the law of God for the people. This is the man who had settled so many of their disputes. This is the man who, when they were in fear or they were afraid, he's this one that said, it's going to be okay. God's got this because God has got us. The only spiritual leader they had known in their lives was this man, Moses. And now he's dead, and they grieve, which is very, very natural. But I want you to notice the second part of this verse, Deuteronomy 34, 8. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, listen to this, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. 
Notice they did their weeping and they did their mourning. But you know what? There comes a time for that to end. And it comes a time for us to move ahead by faith. And what God is trying to communicate is this. Just because Moses is dead does not mean my dream for you as a nation is dead. It's not like Moses died and God goes, oh, no, I didn't see that coming. What are we going to do now? No, God says, listen, listen, listen. Moses served my purpose in his era, and now I've got a new era with a new leader. And so here's what it says, Joshua 1.1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. This is what God says to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. Notice the key words here, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan and into the journey I've got for you. Get ready because your greatest days are ahead of you. Get ready to exercise some dangerous faith because you're going to need it for the things that are going to face you on the other side of the Jordan. So notice, God's saying, things are not over. This is not the end. In fact, it's just the opposite. This is the beginning of something new and something great. And then listen what he says in Joshua 1.5. Here's the promise. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is saying, Joshua, if there's ever a time where you look into the future and you're a little fearful about what lay ahead of you as a leader and as a people, all you've got to do is one thing. Look to the past. Remember what I did through Moses. I was the one who sent the plagues to Egypt and humbled Pharaoh's heart to where he released the slaves. That wasn't Moses, that was me. That was my power. I was the one who parted the waters of the Red Sea so that the nation could cross. Moses led it, but it was my power. When Moses prayed, it was me who brought the manna. It was me who brought the quail. It was me who allowed water to come from a rock to to satisfy the thirst of all the, the nation. It was my finger that etched in those stone tablets the law that I had for my people. It was me who led them through a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I'm the one, Moses, or Joshua. And Joshua, listen, just as Moses was my instrument and my tool in his time, you are going to be my instrument and my tool in your time. It's my power. I just need an instrument. Let me ask you this. You ever had to follow somebody great? Whether it was a teacher who retired and they just had this amazing reputation. Whether it was this boss who had these amazing leadership abilities and everybody in the company just loved him. And now it's your mantle. Now it's your classroom. Now it's your team to coach. And you're following a legacy. Can you imagine how Joshua must have felt stepping in where Moses, this revered, loved leader, left off. 
Do you think he might have felt a little insecure? Do you think he might have felt a little intimidated about what lay before him? I want you to read with me. Let's read this together as a church because this promise is not just for Joshua and his people. It is for us today. Joshua 1.9. Let's read it together. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I want you to see here those two words, afraid and discouraged. Here's why God gives them this promise, because he knows if those two parasites ever attach themselves to our soul, it will suck out all the faith, all the courage, all the passion, all the peace, and here's what we'll be left with. We will be left with this feeling that we are all alone, and we are the ones who are solely responsible to get the job done. There's no help. So God says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Many of you basketball fans might remember several years ago during the playoffs, uh, before the game began, there was a young girl named Natalie Gilbert. And Natalie was chosen to sing the national anthem to a packed stadium of 20,000 people, millions more watching on their televisions at home. And she got up, and she took that microphone, and she began to belt out the national anthem, and things were going great until she got to Twilight's last gleaming. All right? I want you to watch and see how this story unfolds. And now to honor America and salute the men and women serving our country with our national anthem, please welcome, as voted by you, the fans, our winner of the Toyota Get the Feeling of a Star promotion, Natalie Gilbert.
Hey, that guy who came along, little Natalie Gilbert, was uh, the coach of the Trailblazers. That was Maurice Cheeks, known as Mo Cheeks. A couple observations from that video. Number one, um, Mo Cheeks can't sing worth a lick, right? He's not very good. Number two, out of all the assists he ever gave on a basketball court, that was probably the best assist ever, right? And number three, I think that every single one of us in here can identify with young Natalie, and we know what it means to feel alone and isolated, and that it can be a terrifying thing. Until we feel the presence of the one who says, hey, you're not alone. I'm going to help you get through this. And that's why God says to his people, and he says to these people here in this place today, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For I will be with you. And I think that some of you in here specifically today need to hear those words because some of you, you're in a season of life right now where there are whole new chapters being written in your life. And you need to be reminded of the fact that there's a God who says to you, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, be strong, be courageous, and know that with every step you take, I'm there with you for the rest of your life. Joshua 1.10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So this is Joshua's first directive, his first order, his first command as the newly appointed leader of the people. How will the people respond? That's the question, right? Look at verse 16. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, we will put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So the people's response to to Joshua on this day was this. Joshua We're in. Let's be dangerous together. Not only did they support him, they encouraged him. I mean, you can't get any more encouraged when they say, listen, if anybody doesn't obey you, we're going to kill them, right? That's, That's encouragement. That's support. And not only did they do that, they prayed for him. May the Lord your God be with you. Now, let me just take kind of a personal turn right here for a minute, okay? I don't feel like there's been too many times over the last 14 years or so that I've ever asked you for your prayers for me. But I'm asking for them today. 
as your pastor, I want to help lead you and guide you and teach you and be there for you and minister to you and build into you. But I need your prayers. I love this church and I consider it a great, great privilege to be doing in this church what I do. But I'm gonna tell you something, I feel in and of myself, this, this awareness, this great sense of responsibility of for what I believe God wants to unfold here at Bachelor Creek in the coming years. There are times I stay up at night with my mind racing, convicted of a lot of the things that I feel like God wants us to be as a people, and I pray that we have the courage to say to God, wherever it is you want to lead, we will follow. And I believe that God wants to use this congregation known as Bachelor Creek, that he wants to use us to send these ripple effects all across this community and even globally. And I dream of a church where this can be a place of healing for so many people in our world who are hurting, that they know that when they enter into the walls of this church, when they step foot on this campus, they they know one thing for sure, and that is that everyone's welcome. Whether you enter here as a skeptic or a cynic or an atheist or agnostic, or whether you have just trashed your life by a series of sins, that you realize you're welcome here. And that when you're in this place, you realize you've come to the right place because nobody in this place is perfect. That we are all just sinners who weakly fall at the throne of God's grace and we appeal to his perfect love. And whether you are addicted or whether you come from a marriage that's fractured or whether you're engaged in a sinful lifestyle or whatever, that when you come into this place, you hear about a God who can change any heart, who there's no circumstance that he can't change because you hear loud and clear week after week that we believe in a God with whom anything is possible. A dream of a church where compassion is unleashed by this body, this mobilized army going into our community and going into our schools and our neighborhoods, and we are ministering to those who are, who are weak and who are impoverished and who are helpless and those people who are the least of these that Jesus talked about. A dream of a church where this place is packed full week after week, and maybe we add more services, and it's all because people want to come, and they want to hear the word of God, and they want the word of Christ to dwell in them richly, so that when they leave this place, they can dispense the truth of God and the grace of God in their school, in their neighborhood, at their place of employment, that they just come to be filled up, and they go so that they can release. I dream of a church where where, where, where people don't always just come to satisfy their fix that consumeristic Christianity has created an American church. But it's not just about what are you gonna do for me, but people come in and they roll up their sleeves and say, what can I do to build up the body of church? How can I serve? How can I love? How can I encourage? How can I pray? What can I do so that I can make this body of Christ everything it needs to be so that we present her as the radiant bride that Jesus deserves when he comes back? 
I dream of a church where we're not just sending a hundred or so a year to cross-cultural missions, but we are sending hundreds and hundreds of people a year to other countries, to other nations, and we're sending doctors and nurses and teachers, and we're sending construction workers and stay-at-home moms and retirees and our teenagers, all, everybody going with the idea to impact people thousands of miles away with a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. And that's why I need your prayers. Because I don't want to dream any lesser dreams than that. I don't want to give my life to any lesser dream than that. And I realize the temptation and the battle that we're in. And every day there's that, there's that temptation for that parasite to come suck itself in my soul. And it makes me apathetic or it'd make me fearful or doubtful or to just play it safe and not upset the apple cart. This is a dream that I'm willing and intend to give the rest of my life to. Does anybody else in here think that's a worthwhile dream in your life? I want you to listen to this story by Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, a couple hundred years ago. He tells a story about this town where all of its citizens were ducks. And every Sunday, the ducks would waddle up Main Street, and they would waddle up the church steps, and they would waddle to their pews, and they would sit down. And the duck choir would waddle up to their choir loft and the duck preacher would waddle up to the podium and the duck preacher would say, ducks, we all have wings. God has given us wings so that we can fly, so that we can soar with the eagles. God has given us wings so that we can overcome barriers and fly over fences. We can fly, ducks. We can fly. And all the ducks would, week after week, say, amen, amen. And then all the ducks would waddle home. Friends, if you've been born again through the person of Jesus Christ, you weren't made to waddle. Danger is now your middle name. So what happens with Israel? Here's what we find. They went into the promised land and their first big obstacle was this massive fortified city named Jericho. God says, I want you to march around it. And that is what they did. I want you to listen to how it turned out for him. Hebrews 11.30. By faith. There wasn't a sword raised. There wasn't catapults built. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell 
after the army had marched around them for seven days. Instead of being afraid, instead of being intimidated, instead of saying, this is just too big, it can't be done, notice how it happened. It happened by one weapon in their arsenal. How did it happen? It happened by by faith. Did the army make the walls fall? They were just the instrument, the catalyst of faith by which God crumbled an entire city. Let me tell you something, folks. Faith isn't faith until it moves you to action. Faith is not faith until you take a risk. Because here's what faith is. Going to the edge of all the knowledge that you have And taking what? One more step. And every week, you and I gather. Every week, we have two elements that we hold. One representing blood, one representing body. You know what these elements do for us in our heart of hearts? They assure us that we can take every step of faith with confidence of the one who says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Don't be discouraged, don't be afraid. That this Jesus who came for us, lived for us, taught us, died for us, resurrected for us, says he's now preparing a place for us, And says, in the meantime, when you're doing on planet Earth everything I've called you to do, when you're making disciples of all nations, which was his last marching orders to the church, when you're doing that, know one thing for sure. Matthew 28, 20. Listen. And surely, Jesus says, I am with you. Say the word. Always. To the very what? End of the age. The same promise is there, folks. He's with us. So let me ask you this. As you're taking the elements of the Lord's Supper today and remembering everything that Jesus did and and why he came and how he lived and how he died and how he rose again and how he's with us today, what step of faith is he asking you to take in your life right now? Where is he telling you, you know what, beyond when you've come to the edge of everything you know, here's the step that I'm calling you to take. What's the decision you need to make? What's the conversation you need to have? What's the thing you need to stop doing or the thing you need to start doing in your life? And listen, after this time is over and we come to our time of singing and invitation, here's what I want to welcome you to do. Just come up here up front today and just get on bended knee and just say, God, help me to lead where you're following or help me to follow where you're leading. God, I don't want to waddle. I really want to believe that that I can fly, that you've empowered us to do these great things, but God, help me with my faith so that we can be the kind of dangerous church you've called us to be in this place, in this time, for your good name and for your glory. And tonight, 6 o'clock here at the church, 
We're gonna open up the doors and we're just gonna have a time of prayer. And one of the things we're gonna be praying about is for our church and the mission of our church and the ministry of our church and asking God's blessing on what we wanna do in this community. So we encourage you to come tonight at six o'clock. But for now, maybe just coming up here today and just saying, God, whatever it looks like, whatever it is you need me to do, I'm coming to make myself available for you and we're gonna be dangerous together. Let's pray. Father, thank you that there is not a step that we take in life without the confidence and assurance that you're right there with us. You're giving us the power, the strength, the courage, the gifts, the abilities, the wherewithal, whatever it is we need, Lord, to face any challenge ahead of us. You're there with us. So, Lord, just take off the blinders today. Help us to pitch apathy and doubt and fear and safety out the window and embrace this idea of being a dangerous people moving ahead because there's so much at stake. Your church is the hope of the world because we are pointing the whole world to the one that the entire Bible is all about, the one named Jesus So help us, Father, in that endeavor to give us the courage and the strength and the faith to move ahead, to do whatever it is we need to do, to take whatever risk we need to take, to make whatever changes we need to change, to give whatever resources we need to give to make this dream come true. So we make ourselves available to you now, Lord. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Amen.